We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. You're now listening to the California Golden Bearcast, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Bearcast, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, we're going through, it is technically football season, um, and we haven't had a game yet. But hopefully this week, if you're listening to this on Thursday or Friday. Uh, and so we're going to talk about our opponent this week, which is ASU. We already talked about ASU a little bit with um, our friend Robbie Reyes, or also known as Jetta ASU on Twitter. Uh, but that was the outlook on the season. We're going to talk to some other friends at House of Sparky uh, with Andrew here, who is here to talk to us about ASU's heartbreaking loss at SC and uh, what he thinks might happen with the Cal game this Saturday. So, Andrew, thank you for joining us. How are you doing to this afternoon? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, appreciate you having me on the podcast. And yeah, like you said, kind of a kind of a rough one last week at SC. I'm sure Jedi talked about it. One of my favorite Twitter follows, by the way. Jedi is a great. If you want to see funny ASU Twitter content or just content in general, Jedi is one of my favorites to, to follow. But yeah, um, just a heartbreaking loss last week for the devils and um but should be interesting seeing this week and hopefully i know i was talking to you just a few months ago but hopefully we get a game in this week too it's like you cross your fingers every week on the college football schedule but yeah uh thank you for having me glad to be yeah here. yeah absolutely um i think everyone all i think both fan bases are hoping for a game um even the uw dog pound guys last week we we were all like getting ready and all hyped and then just the letdown was it sucked uh but on to more optimistic things uh for this week but before we get onto the optimism, um, talk me through the the SC game, um, just from your perspective. Like, what what do you think went wrong? What were positives to take away from it? Um, what were some things that leave you a little bit worried heading into week two of your season? Uh, well, I think one of our, our writers last week, who we had um, Cole Topham, uh, labeled it as the collapse at the Coliseum, and that was about that was about how I'd label it too. Um, it was just one of those games, uh, just a, a crazy game. 
uh, all of last week. I think there are a lot of positives to take away from it. I know after the game, fans are often a little hot-headed, you know, asking for everybody's head. But if you look at the whole of that game, they played really well for 57 minutes. I mean, they controlled the turnover game, which I thought was going to be huge going into this one with kind of a slick field because of rain. Um, You know, they didn't turn the ball over. Um, and then they really got the running game going, which I thought last year, that was a lost cause kind of at the beginning of last year with their offense. They had a, some problems on the offensive line last year, but they kind of patched it up with a couple grad transfers they brought in this year. And the running game really got going um, offensively with Diamante Traynham, um, Rashad White, two guys who had never played a snap of Division One college football before. And they really did well um, with the running game. I think the defense too, people look at, um, kind of the passing yards. I think Kadon Slovis is going to tear everybody up in the Pac-12 this year. He's their offense and their wideouts with um, Drake London and uh, St. Brown. They're just incredible offensively. So, um, but I mean, if you look at it, going the fourth quarter, they're holding that offense to 14 points, and then the last three minutes happens. So um, overall, I thought it was a pretty good performance defensively. I thought Merlin Robertson played really well. Um, I thought the secondary. For the most part, up until that last three minutes, like I said, I thought Jack Jones um, had his moments, but um, Chase Lucas as well. I know Jack Jones was dealing with cramps through a little bit of that game as well, but the secondary played pretty well um, until, like I said, the last three minutes. It was just something about it. Um, and it was kind of one of those things where anything that could have went wrong, went wrong. Like the onside kick um, with Ricky Pearsall, who, and that's what I was talking about with a lot of people after the game, kind of asking what happened. I was saying, you know, it was one of those things that, there was plays to be made and they just didn't make them. I mean, it sounds cliche. It sounds like coach talk, but it really was like, I mean, if you look at the last touchdown, the game winning touchdown, um, Deandre Pierce is right there. I mean, the ball is a 50, 50 ball and mm-hmm. SC receiver comes up with it. I mean, and then the onside kick people talked about not having the best setup for the onside and maybe blocking too much and not having guys come after the ball. I mean, you have the ball going straight to Ricky Pearsall, who's supposed to be one of their better receivers this year. And I don't, he's, they put the hands team out there and it just clicks right off his hands. I mean, it's just one of those games the last couple of minutes where um, it was just a heartbreaking fashion and USC kind of returns the favor all these years later. I know ASU fans like to talk a lot about in 2014, 2014, 15, um, the JL Mary that they had with Mike Berkovici Mm -hmm. and Strong. a little bit of payback all these years later. So um, but it was just, a, it was a, I mean, for week one, 9 a.m. kickoff, I mean, all the ASU stuff side, I thought it was everything is advertised. I thought USC is a little sloppy turnover-wise, but other than that, I mean, it was a great game. I mean, it came down the wire. Can't ask for much more from just a football fan's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those games where um, I, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think ASU's got this in the back. And then you're like, wait, what? What what happened? Yeah, <laughs> and then it just started tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. Yeah, you turn off maybe midway through the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah, they got it in the bag. And yeah, yeah. Fair enough. You turn back. It's one of those things you like scroll through your Twitter feed. You're like, the score is what now? Yeah, it's one of those games. This is a wild one. Um, I mean, we're we're talking about you know ASU and the positives you took away from it. I mean, you guys installed a new offensive coordinator. What did you see from Zach Hill's offense and? You know, was, were there any surprises or things that you were like, oh, wow, I didn't think that they were going to, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think I already mentioned, I think it was the running game um, with mm-hmm. Rashad White, Diamante Train. Um, a lot of people, that was the talk going into camp this year, even before the pandemic happened, but going into spring ball was how are these this offense and the defense going to get installed? Because they go from Danny Gonzalez's um, 3-3-5 system to a more traditional 4-3 um, with Antonio Pierce and Marvin Lewis. 
Um, but it was going to be how is the offense going to get installed? How are the players going to adjust? And I think the running game was a question mark. I think that people knew that there was talent. Sean Aguano is the running back coach, brought in a big recruit, Diamante Traynham. Um, they also have Daniel Nagata and then also um, Rashad White, like I said. But with that all being said, throughout camp, everyone was saying, you know, these guys haven't, they haven't had a snap all year. Um, at the Division One level, Rashad White's a junior, but he's coming in from junior college. And so how is the running game going to adjust? And like I said, last year was a struggle. I mean, they had a good, solid veteran running back with Eno Benjamin, but they really struggled running the ball with the um, with the offensive line. There's a lot of freshmen, a few injuries that happened, a few players who had to leave the program. And so it was kind of just piecing it together all year trying to find the running game. So that was a welcome surprise, I think, for the Zach Hill system was how good the running game was in week one. And I think that's a good sign for the future. Herm Edwards has said since day one, he wants to install the running game. Um, it's pro when he says the pro model, that's part of what he means too, is being able to run the football like they do in the NFL. So I think that was a success. Um, but the only downside I'd say of the offense, um, was definitely the passing game on the flip side of that. I think Jaden Daniels did all he could, but at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. Um, Frank Darby goes down on the first quarter, doesn't return the rest of the game. The rest of the receivers, I'm, Ricky Pearsall is a sophomore who's returning, but he didn't get that many snaps or touches last year. And you have Gordon Porter, another guy as well, um, who also didn't get as many snaps last year on the wide receiver core. And the two biggest um, kind of freshmen coming in were LV Bunkley Shelton and Johnny Wilson. And Johnny Wilson, if you remember on signing day and monitoring all that, he was a guy that was originally committed to Oregon from Southern California. Chris Hawkins, Prentice Gill come down to ASU last year when they're kind of refilling the coaches after a few coaches left on the staff and they're able to flip Johnny Wilson on signing day, which was huge. Everyone made a big deal about it. And Johnny Wilson, um, I'm not going to put too much into it. Is his first week, but he had a really rough game last week. I mean, um, there's a few times he got targeted early on, just dropped passes, and then he really struggled getting off the line too against some of USC secondary. And I thought LV Bunkley Sheldon pretty well for played pretty well for his first game at four receptions not bad at all for first game in college as a freshman um, but both those guys were guys to look out for going into the season kind of on the wide receiver core and um, without Darby and with some of you know the new guys that were kind of stepping into the receiver role with departures like Brandon Ayu, Kyle Williams um, it was kind of that was where the offense really struggled I felt like was trying to find a passing game they talked about it all week um, Jane Daniels did as much as he could. Obviously, he's a scrambling. He can get out of the pocket, scramble well. That was one to kind of get out. And um, he really did a good job when there was nothing open, just tucking and run. That's really what their offense was made out of, was the running backs and then Jane Daniels find a way to scramble. Um, that was kind of what the offense was made out of last week. Well, um, I guess we should flip the conversation to the other side of the ball. Marvin Lewis, and you talked about Antonio Pierce as well. You talked about how good the defense played considering the offensive talent um, that SC has and the amount of scoring that they can do with those athletes and those wide receivers. Oh, Lord help us when we have to play them next year. Uh, but um, for the defensive side, I mean, you did talk about the switch from the 3 4 to a more traditional base. Um Tell, talk to me about it. Like, were you were you excited that they went back to a more traditional base? Um, did you notice like any any little quirks or things that you know that they still need to work through, or um, or you, do you think that they're pretty they're gonna be pretty sound for the time being? 
You know, I think the defensive front, um, there's a lot to be optimistic about. They still have to perform. The most veteran part of the defense, I mean, they return almost all of their starters from last year, and it's almost all a returning group, but it's the secondary. They have DeAndre Pierce, who is Antonio Pierce's son, who that was actually one of the biggest surprises of last week was DeAndre Pierce ends up starting at safety. Ashari Crosswell, who's a guy who's supposed to be on some NFL draft boards, is expected to have a really good year. He's a freshman and sophomore starter. He didn't play many snaps last week except a few on special teams. Um, so that was kind of a surprise for everyone in the media seeing that throughout the game. Um, and kind of Pierce getting the nod. There had been talk about him in fall camp that he would get starting reps. He had really performed coming over. He transferred in from Boise State and had played really well. So that was a surprise. Um, Jack Jones and Chase Lucas are kind of the two guys to look at. The, probably the biggest departure from that secondary was Kobe Williams this last year um, who was a senior and so left, but Jack Jones and Chase Lucas were the two guys are expecting kind of hold it down as corners. Um, Merlin Robertson's kind of anchoring the linebacker core. He had a great game last year. I mean, he was all over the field, had a huge fourth down stop on fourth and one. Um, But the biggest question mark minus kind of crossbow, that was kind of the biggest surprise. The biggest question mark was going to be up front um, the defensive line. How would they perform? Because that was a group that, um, you know, they, the defense had forced turnovers under Danny Gonzalez, but there really hadn't been enough pressure, um, I think, in Herm Edwards' mind and on the defensive side of the ball. On the quarterback in recent years, they've kind of had some problems getting to the QB. Um, and so that was kind of the group that was getting – had the biggest microscope on them. How would they perform? And I think for the most part, um, they did a pretty good job, for, especially in the second half. Uh, Jermaine Lolay was expected to be the guy who was um, kind of – breaking, you know, breaking everything down on the D line. And then uh, Michael Matus uh, was another really big surprise last week. They were in the backfield a few times, made a lot of big tackles. Um, Overall, I think there's still work to be done um, on the defensive line. I know on the recruiting front, there's probably guys who they're trying to get in bigger, faster, bigger guys um, that they can get up front. But overall, I thought they performed pretty well at times. I thought there was times when, you know, Slovis had, a lot of time back there in the pocket and was able to pick apart and make plays. That's when he's most, most dangerous. If he has all the time back there, it's going to be tough to tough to keep him in check. But overall, like I said, um, I know, like I said, after the game, uh, there's always fans, everybody who, yep. you know, fire Herm, fire the defensive coordinator, blow everything up. And I think if you look at the entirety of the game, they really played a pretty good game. And people look at the passing yardage too. I think Slovis had 400, 500 something like that the passing game or how many total yards usc got um offensively that people are kind of stressing out but if you look at the way the defense played them they really wanted to limited limit the big plays and i thought they did that for the most part they kept them kind of over the middle of the field there's nothing over the top minus the last play (laughs) um and down the sideline but um everything before the 57 minute mark or the last three minutes you can kind of put a pretty good check next to it. I mean, if they end up closing the door, they have two opportunities to slam the door on fourth down and USC ends up getting touched. If they end up slamming the door on those, they're looking at the defense. It's a whole different story about how people are looking at them. They're saying, you know, they held Slovis to 14 points and forced four turnovers. Instead, the last two minutes happened and everyone wants to, you know, kind of freak out about what was wrong with the defense the last minutes, which is warranted. I mean, they got to be able to slam the door. Um, but overall, it was just one of those odd sequences in the last three minutes where the defense went from looking like possibly a hero to a zero. <laughs> well, uh, let's. I guess we should shift now forward to looking ahead. We don't. And hopefully, 
the Sun Devils aren't shutting the door on the Cal offense because, you know, I'm a Cal, or Cal fans on this podcast. So we're going to talk about it in that light. But um, talk to me about what you think about uh, this upcoming game. Uh, do you, just overall, your general thoughts, like, do you like the matchup? Is it going to be a tough game uh, in your perspective? What's it, what's it going to be like uh, just having a game in Tempe? Knowing that for us, our history of playing in the state of Arizona has not been very favorable to us over the last few years. Uh, mainly the Cheez-It Bowl. Um, when we played uh, Arizona, there was that Hail Mary at the end of the game a few years back. Like there's just, it's just weird things happen whenever we play in Arizona. But um, from your end, how do you, how do you see this game? What do you think of it? Yeah. You know, it's funny because talking with a lot of people, you know, fans, players, everyone around the program, um, kind of looking at the schedule when it first came out for this abbreviated 2020 season, it was like, get out of the gate against USC and you're okay. And I'm looking at the schedule and I'm thinking, you know, Cal had a pretty good year last year going into week two. I mean, if you look at the trajectory of the two programs between ASU and Cal, they're actually pretty similar in my book between Kyle Wilcox and Herm Edwards. They come in year one, have the, um, you know, there's the cheese bowl fiasco that Cal has. ASU has the loss in the Vegas bowl. Um, and then they go into year two and they improve upon that, go to eight and five. And now you're kind of stepping into new year. It's like, all right, well, what can they do now? They've made steps forward, but what is it going to take that step to the next level? Um, so I think this is going to be a pretty interesting game. I think Cal has a lot of talent, um, especially defensively last year. I think that's where ASU, um, that was their biggest concern last year when they're in Berkeley. I actually got a chance to go up to Memorial and was at that game mm-hmm. last year um, when ASU um, played Cal and I remember that defense was a really good unit for the Golden Bears and then Garbers as well probably Cal probably and all likely, at least in my opinion I think they probably win that game last year if their quarterback doesn't go down um, mm, yeah. so I think there's maybe a little bit of taste of wanting to get ASU back knowing that there's a little left on the table from last year and that they could have possibly pulled out a win in Berkeley um, I think it's going to be a good matchup. Like I said, people were kind of like, oh, just get out, get past USC out of the gates. And there's, you know, everything else looks clear and beautiful. And I'm looking at it like, you know, Cal's a pretty good football team. They've, he's, Kyle Wilcox has done, or uh, was it Justin Wilcox done a pretty good job? Sorry, I was <laughs> an email earlier or something. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need 
just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. But yeah, so I think it would be a pretty good game. Yeah. Um, well, let's dive into the game a little bit. Um, how do you like that matchup of... I mean, you saw Chase Garbers in person in Berkeley last year. And of course, I'm sure you know of some of the other stats where he was undefeated uh, last season if he played the whole full game and so on. Um, how do you like his matchup against the and what the Bears? I mean, let's be let's be honest. Even for us as Cal fans, we have no idea what the offense is going to look like under Bill Musgrave because we still haven't played a game with Bill Musgrave as our offensive coordinator. So we can't really speak to the matchup from the offense to um, Arizona State's defense. But let's talk about some of the position players, I guess. And it boils down to Chase Garbers and how well he can perform. Um, what do you think about Chase Garbers against that ASU defense? Uh, I think it's going to be, like I said, his biggest task. If he has time back there, he's going to have a chance to make some plays, maybe scramble. But his biggest challenge is definitely going to be the ASU secondary. Like I said, they have a returning group. Um, They're pretty sound back there. And like I said, they didn't give up any big plays minus the last few minutes. Like For 57 minutes, they played pretty well against USC. Um, So that's going to be his biggest challenge. But I think their running game could possibly – step up against ASU. And like I said, if he's able to get by some time back there, make a few plays, um, I think he can manage enough and it stays a lower scoring game. I think that could favor Cal. Um, but, you know, Chase Garbers last year, you mentioned the undefeated stat if he stays healthy. Uh, I think, you know, he's their leader on offense uh, at the quarterback position. He goes undefeated and then also brings, of course, I, I know it's a probably a, a long time coming for Cal fans, but he brings the ax back to Berkeley too, which was last year. So, um, yeah, I think he's the key for them offensively. I think what he's able to do against the ASU defense and trying to make plays um, is going to be a huge key going into this game. And to be honest, other than that, I don't know too much. Like I said, it's a new offense for Cal. I can only take what I've seen from last year uh, and kind of translate that in the, into this year. But, yeah, so I'm I'm eager too. I can't wait to see what their offense looks like, What if they take are taking any steps forward too from last year. Well, let's flip it over to the other side of that matchup, which is the Cal defense, which you know you you've said uh, is a pretty is is basically the identity of this team, really, uh, against second year Jaden Daniels. Um, what do you what do you have What do you see Jaden needing to do in order to beat this Bears defense and you know put up some points? It's just trying to find some consistency with his receivers, um, which is a tougher task. I know Cal last year had a really good secondary, um, and trying to find the you know just that consistency those you those few missed routes last week where guys were just lack of communication they haven't played enough together um and a couple of broken routes things like that um but i think for him it's just trying to find that connection with his receivers whether it's that week in practice and i don't necessarily think it's what cal's gonna do i think it's just asu trying to find that rhythm this week in practice and going forward with all these young guys and making sure that their confidence isn't taking out too I know Johnny Wilson last week there was a moment last weekend on the sideline where he just looked down I mean he, he had dropped a few passes he was getting um you know getting exposed a little bit 
in his first collegiate game and he's originally from the Southern California area and it's never anything you want to go through. Um, and Jaden Daniels did a good job going over to comfort him, um, trying to just get in his ear and let him know that he's going to be all right. So um, I think making sure that these young guys' confidence doesn't get down after one game. Um, and making sure that Jaden Daniels is there. He's the leader. He's got to be in their ear and kind of guiding them along the way here. Um, but offensively, I think if ASU can run the ball like they did last week, I think that really bodes in their favor. They're a team that loves they're that pro style, so they love to control time of possession, um, love to control the clock. And if they can run the ball, control the game that way and have the ball in their hands longer, I think that really favors ASU. Well, um that's a pretty good conversation on that. Uh, just a final few questions as we wrap up this preview podcast for the matchup. Uh, I've been asking every time I e- I talk to an opposing team uh, fan or, or writer is a few few questions. First thing is for ASU season this year, right at the end of the at the end of the year, you're looking back. What had to go right for ASU to say this was a successful season? Uh, I would say this is a pretty high bar, but I, to be honest, I mean, a lot of people, preseason and writers, expectations in the Pac-12 South, they've already kind of lowered expectations with that loss to USC. But I'd say in order for this season to go right, at least a top two in the Pac-12 South, in my opinion. Um, they have the talent. It was one of those things where Herm Edwards, um, he's one of those guys too, interacting with them. He's the same person. That he, the same person you see on TV, the same person mm-hmm. I've seen in media scrums and always just going through the facility, how he is on the sideline, it doesn't change. I mean, he's, which is very, it's something you can respect just as whether it's media, as a player, as a coach. And when he was coming in, the biggest question was, can he recruit? Because everyone had, he's been out of the game for too long. He's been, he's proven that he's recruited. They brought in more four and four star guys and higher talent. And the first year was kind of like he had leftover Todd Graham players and kind of a a mismatch of that. Last year, he had more of his recruits, but they were all freshmen. I mean, they started last year at Michigan State, I want to say it was 27 or 28 freshmen, which is ridiculous. (laughs) And second game of college football in a big, big 10, big game atmosphere. Um, And that's second game of the year. But so they had all those freshmen last year, including a true freshman quarterback who started for the first time ever that they've had a true freshman quarterback starting week one. Um, so it was just that young piece. They had their highs, obviously the Oregon game last year, and then their lows, you look at their losing streak to Oregon state. Um, and then they try to patch up some of that. They bring in the coordinators. Rob Likens was actually, uh, under the Todd Graham staff. So they got him out of there, bring in, um, Herm Edwards guy, which is Zach Hill that they go and find, they bring in some new, uh, coaches, like I said, Prentice Gill, Chris Hawkins work with the secondary and the receivers, um, and then make the move. I mean, they Danny Gonzalez would have stayed, but he elected to go to New Mexico instead. So they get Antonio Pearson, um, Marvin Lewis in, and now it's all of a sudden, all right, you've got your coaches, got your players who are now a little bit older. What can you do? So I think that's why I set that such high bar of it should be top two in the South. And I think if they underperform, I don't want to say, I'm not going to say Herm's on the hot seat by any means. I mean, if they have a winning season, it's sad to say, but I mean, Arizona State, and I'm sure it's the same way it counts some of the other Pac-12 schools, and it's what the schools are trying to strive to, but the standards at ASU aren't the standards at LSU or Alabama, or, mm. which they're trying to get to that point, but they're still trying to build their way there right now. So, But I'd say top two in the South is really the expectation for them. A lot of people projected them going 5-1. and one. I think there's a lot of games on their schedule that you look at. Like I, I look, I know Utah every year 
Um, I know they're a young team. They lost a lot of guys this year, mm-hmm. especially to the pros and all that. But Utah, Kyle Whittingham's a good coach. It seemed like they're always prepared every year. And ASU, similar to how Cal's kind of had their troubles in, uh, in Arizona, ASU in cold climates, whether it be in Boulder, Utah, up in the mountain schools, hasn't fared well. They went in there last year kind of with the Pac-12 South. It was kind of pretty much if they wanted to have a chance, a run at the South, they need to beat Utah and went in there and got pummeled. I mean, it was raining. It was snowy. It was, I mean, there was sleet. It was not a good atmosphere for them, for, especially for a lot of recruits from the California area and haven't played in that climate. So um, that's been one of their struggles. They're going to have to go up to Salt Lake this year too. So um, it should be, should be interesting. Well, the other side of that question that I wanted to ask you is what has to happen for this Arizona State season to be a total disaster or just a just a, a wipe? Uh, well, like I said, finishing below like second, I'll give at the most like third in the conference would probably be a really bad year. Having um, a record, say they go four and two or three and three, that's not that's going to be viewed as a huge step back from where they were. Um, and then on top of that, the biggest game, I'm sure it's similar with Cal and Stanford, but got to take home the Territorial Cup this year. That's cliche, sounds like that, but if you look at it, I mean, the Territorial Cup this year, there's such a mismatch. And this is not to bash on Arizona or anything like that, but third, ASU is the more talented team. When you look at the roster, the caliber of recruits who have brought in that and the records last year, I mean, What's going on under Kevin Sumlin? Um, they haven't performed where they want to be yet, for sure. So, um, if you want to see the ASU fan base explode and start yelling and be all over crazy, see, I won't say Jedi because I know he uh, he has a he's a clean Twitter account, but the, some crazy ASU fan tweets. If they lose to U of A, that it will blow up completely. Like a, a down year, like a three and three, four and two year, people are already be kind of upset. But if they lose to U of A too, like people will explode. It, it's pretty funny. I mean, at least covering ASU to see, like I was around when um, ASU lost to U of A the last time they lost the Territorial Cup, which was, what was that? I want to say it was 2017, 2016. Um, mm-hmm. And Manny Wilkins was quarterback. And they really banged up under Todd Graham. And U of A didn't throw the ball the entire second half. And ASU ended up losing by a lot. I mean, it was a blowout loss in Tucson. And I mean, Twitter after was, <laughs> it was so you sh- I mean, the amount of things being said about players, coaches, I mean, it was a crazy, it was a crazy time. It was, it was a crazy game too. You're just looking at this U of A team and this ASU defense going, how does that even happen? Like they didn't throw the ball the entire second half and just absolutely rolled over ASU. I know Doug Haller who writes for the athletic and covers ASU. Mm-hmm. said the game, I want to say it was number two or three. Uh, he did a top five. He was ranking. Um, I'm sure this will put some salt in the wound of ASU. But ranking the worst ASU losses in the last 10 years, and he put the USC game, it was in like the top five, I want to say. Um, or so, It was like top five or 10 that he did, and uh, that game against U of A too was from a few years ago. It was like number two or something like that. It was a, it was a bad loss. So now, if you want to see people, ASU fans head explode, that would be the game. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're all here for, for mayhem. And that's what Twitter is for. So hopefully you don't have to experience that, but that's also where the fun is with uh, being on sports Twitter. It's it's part of the highs and lows of a Pac-12 season. I mean, whether you're Oregon, Cal, Mm -hmm. whatever fan base or Pac-12 team you're for, I mean, it seems like every year, obviously we haven't had a CFP team in the playoffs in a few years, but every year there's like a loss. You're just going, 
head every fan was like, how did you, how how how'd that happen? Absolutely, absolutely. Some would say that that's probably the the benefits of having an actually competitive conference. So, who it knows? Crazy this weekend too. I mean, eight thirty start time. I mean, talk about your shift two for eight. You go from nine a.m. to eight thirty. Talk about the extreme Pac twelve after dark. Extreme Pac-12 after dark. Yeah, the East Coasters will get. It'll be halftime. It'll be past midnight. Like that's. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's way up there. So, well, the final question I wanted to ask you, uh, with it being 2020 and game being canceled last week, um, so you know how insane things are getting. Um, the one question I've been asking everyone is, give me a give me a like a since we're still early on in the season, a prediction in the Pac-12. That is so out there for any regular season, but because it's 2020, it is plausible. Huh. Let me think of all the different teams in the conference that we feel <laughs> off of. Um, I'm gonna give, yeah, I, I'm gonna go off of what I said a few a few minutes ago. I'm gonna go with Utah possibly finishing higher than people might ex- might expect. I think Kyle Whittingham's a good coach. I think people are writing them off a lot. Um, and they've had to deal with a lot of adversity already. I mean, it was scary this weekend, and I hope all their players are okay, but seeing mm-hmm. all the, the COVID outbreak that they have, if we're able to get a full season in, I think Utah can surprise some people. I don't know how high that is. I'm not saying they're going to run the table in the back <laughs> or anything, but I, I just never underestimate Utah. It seems like they have, they're one of the more consistent programs year in and year out in the conference. So I'd say maybe the Utes finishing higher than some people would expect. You could look back on this, Six weeks from now, maybe if we get through a season and at this point everyone's walk-ons are playing and Utah's in the basement, and I'm going to look pretty bad on that one, but we'll see. I'd, but I'd say the youth's possibly finishing higher than some people might think. Okay. Well, there's his prediction. Um, well, thank you uh, for joining us on this podcast, Andrew. Uh, where can they find your stuff? Where can we read more about ASU if we want to prep ourselves for that game on Saturday? Yeah, so um, – Check out House Sparky um, on Twitter. It's at House of Sparky. Um, and then my own Twitter account is at Andrew Bell 7 I also do some stuff um, with House Sparky, and then I do um, some stuff at a company called Sports360AZ. So I have a little bit um, writing on both ends like that. Check out um, – yeah, but, yeah, check out our site. Uh, we have a lot of good stuff this week going up for game week. Um, our ma- other managing editor who did our Q&A um, with you guys this week is Brady Vernon. Um, he is the one – him and I are kind of like – right hand right hand men we work together all the time um and then we have our writers cole topham and i can't think of everybody else we have so we have like 10 people (laughs) yeah they'll all be on our twitter account at some point um if you want to see funny asu memes content that we're putting up uh, yeah just check it out over there and i appreciate you guys for having me too uh hopefully we get a game in this week and it should be pretty fun and um hopefully cal and asu fans both have a good time should be fun yeah it's uh we're fingers crossed for an actual game that we can get uh some Laughing or crying, sadness or happiness, whatever we get on Saturday. I just want something. Um, but yeah, that's it for the Golden Bear cast. Um, if you're listening to us, you already found us. So you don't. I don't need to tell you where to find us. Uh, and then all of our written stuff is on writeforcalifornia.com. We're doing live streams uh, for watch-alongs. So if you go to youtube.com backslash writeforcalifornia, you'll find all our links there for our watch-alongs. Hopefully we have a watch-along for the ASU game this week. If it does happen to get canceled, we'll set up a live stream for some other game uh so just be on the lookout for that we're trying to get to a thousand subscribers so we can embed our videos onto our youtube channel so if you're there please hit that subscribe button we would greatly appreciate it Uh, but that's it for us and as always go bears
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.